Hello and welcome to Med Talks, conversations by medical students for medical students. I'm Deborah, and unfortunately today my partner Joey will not be joining us, but we are lucky enough to have a very special guest in studio, Dr. Barrent Leonard, who has so kindly offered to help us tackle the topic of the process of speciality. So Dr. Leonard himself is actually a Tucky's man, and he completed his specialization in anesthesiology at Steve Bigo. In his spare time, his hobbies include trail riding, riding his bicycle, and making music. The rest of his time is taken up by his three beautiful children. Doctor, it's so wonderful to have you here today. Thank you so much for being with us. How are you feeling? How are you doing? I'm cold today. <laughs> yeah, it's quite freezing. <laughs> but it's good to be here. It's um, almost as cold as what Steve Beaker Hospital is. Oh, so we're managing. We we one upping it. <laughs> yeah, for some reason, our aircons there are not so functional. So whatever the temperature is outside is the temperature that it's inside, just minus the sunshine. <laughs> oh wow, that's a bit extensive. I can I can vouch for that as well. I'm generally always uh, freezing in there. Yeah, thanks for the warning that it's cold in here. I, yeah. I try to dress appropriately warm. <laughs> yeah, well, I I hope you're heeding to it. All right. So, yeah, just thank you so much for joining us. But I think um, let's get right to it. So, firstly, what inspired you to specialize um, in anesthesiology as it is a notoriously difficult field? So, I, I wish that I had an inspiring story of, of why I did anesthesia. <laughs> a great journey. <laughs> it was a journey, definitely. But I, I pretty much just stumbled into the profession. Mm. So, uh, I've never had a, a, a knowledge of what I want to do. Mm-hmm. That one thing... I, I have many surgical colleagues who tell me when they were three years old, they wanted to be orthopedic surgeons. Oh, wow. So they just knew, but I was never like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I finished um, with, uh, with my med- medical studies, then I started to work as an intern and I quite enjoyed the emergency department work. Okay. So I started to imagine perhaps I wanted to be an emergency physician. And I quickly realized that as an emergency physician, one of the most stressful moments is when you have to intubate someone. Mm. So I thought to myself, well, I need to learn how to intubate properly. Yeah, And I had friends that were working in a nearby hospital and uh, uh, there you had the opportunity to do a diploma in anesthesia because okay. they're an anesthetic consultant. So I thought, well, maybe I should try getting into that hospital in my comm service. Uh, uh, that was Rob Ferreira Hospital. Okay, And I thought if I can get a diploma done, then I would get lots of intubating experience and I would be a good uh, emergency physician. Subsequently, when I started working then as an anesthetist in anesthetic MO, um, preparing for my DA, I realized, wow, I actually really enjoy this. As a student, you don't get much exposure to anesthesia. Um, I, I know that the current anesthetic rotation sometimes is a bit horrible, but I can assure you when we were students, it was about 10 times worse. Oh, wow. Uh, we, we had these impossible multiple choice question tests that were set for us. Uh, the, I think the only reason that I passed mine was because uh, the previous year students had collected a, a sample of about 50% of the uh, questions that get asked. We still asked, do that. Yeah, <laughs> no, we know. <laughs> so I was able to get 50% from those by, by, okay. by memorizing them. <laughs> Managed through. Um, yeah, so we didn't get much anesthetic exposure. And standing in theater was usually just boring and cold. And it hurts your back. We're not used to it yet. <laughs> I, I don't remember a backache, but it's, it's possible. Um, so so I, I really didn't know what anesthesia was about. Okay. But when I started working in anesthesia, I realized uh, two things. The one is that I don't have to look after patients in the ward, which means you, <laughs> you, you're not so reliant on other people to, mm-hmm. to make a success. And the other place is that the theater environment, uh, even though it's cold, it's, um, it's an organized environment. You can yeah. create a little space there for yourself. You have a little world. Um, once your patient is asleep and you're looking after them, then really doesn't matter what else is happening to us in the world, 
there's nothing yeah. you can do about it. You have to look after your patients. So it's a bit more of a controlled environment. It is. You, you can really create a little world there for yourself where where you you can provide good quality patient care, yeah. um, and and you're able to to not have too many other players that you have to have yeah. to look after and work with. No, it's it's definitely. Um, I know personally, I'm very drawn to anesthesiology. Um, I think it's my controlling nature. <laughs> Um, but it's definitely it's quite a quite a beautiful profession in itself, I must say. So after you've finished Comserve, what advice would you give anyone wanting to pursue becoming a specialist? Like, are there any tips or any tricks to get you into the position that you want? So it it helps if you know where you want to specialize. Okay. Um, I had studies at Tuckies, uh, so I knew what the system was like, and I I remembered how the anesthetic department functioned. So when I was ready to come back into the system. Um, I knew the first thing you do is you make friends with the secretary. Oh, okay. That's very important. The reason <laughs> you need to make, make friends with the secretary in the department is because she's the one that coordinates uh, the invites for the interviews. Oh, okay. And the secretary always has uh, the ear of the, the HRD. Oh, okay. And I remembered about the morning meetings that we used to have to attend. Yeah. So even before I got a position, I when I was uh, waiting for a post, I used to slip in in the mornings and join the morning meetings and just... Show the department that I'm, uh, You're willing. I'm keen You're there, yeah. and I'm willing and I want to work hard and I want to learn. I, I would say the best advice that I can give to anyone post-com service uh, mm-hmm. who wants to specialize is, is don't specialize immediately. Oh, wow. Okay. So your, your specialization is four to five years. Uh, four years if you're doing anesthesia or internal medicine or five years if you're doing a surgical discipline. Okay. But if you're coming out of your com service and you're jumping immediately into a specialization, there is so much to learn. Okay. In, in a very short amount of time. It sounds like four or five years is a long time, but it, it really is very short and yeah. goes by very quickly. So I think that the best thing you can do for your career is, is uh, get a medical officer position in whatever you want to specialize in and get a two to three years of experience. Mm. And that, also I think that would probably just prepare you. Sometimes you have an idealistic view of what that specialization could be like. So just maybe to have that bit more experience in it. I, I think you're right what you're saying there is you, you you think you understand what the specialization is about, but only when you start working do you do you really get to the nitty gritty of it. Mm. Uh, I remember as a com service com server uh, at that stage I wasn't sure, but um, I rotated three months in Obs and Gyne, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed the the surgical side of it. Mm. I started to think, well, maybe maybe I should go into surgery, and then I got a needle prick injury, and I had to be on <laughs> ARVs. That quickly changed your mind. <laughs> yeah, it, it was one of the the things that that got me thinking. Well, if you're working with needles the whole day, you probably have a higher risk of needle stick injuries. And and also, I I didn't enjoy the the chaos of a, of a general ward. I yeah. felt like I could never control uh, the envir- environment. Yeah. Um, and t- and too many things slipped uh, slipped through my fingers. Yeah. Uh, so that was yeah you know, that was a good experience, but. The, the other thing is if you've got two or three years of experience in, in your field as a medical officer, that's where you're really learning the the basics of, of yeah. your speciality. And um, you don't want to walk into a specialist uh, registrar post and, and have to have, having to have to learn the basics, yeah. how to do the technical work, how to assess a patient, because it, it really can be overwhelming at that stage. I can imagine on top of everything else that you have to learn. You still have to like go through your basics. I can imagine that can be. Because oh, I, I did my internship. We just had one year internship, one year comp service. Oh, okay. And then I got a, an MO post in anesthesia. And then I worked for three and a half years in anesthesia. Mm. 
And then even after three years of anesthesia, I still wasn't sure if, if this was the right thing for me, um, if I'd learned enough, if I would be able to cope in an academic environment. Mm. Because the, the amount of knowledge that you have to learn yeah. really is enormous. Um, but I didn't go specialize immediately then. I, I, I spent some time working as a GP. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I came back in, into anesthesia, then th- those those five years of, of medical experience that I had picked up, I, I found were, were really, really useful because there was, there was so much basic knowledge that I already knew from, mm. from managing patients from day to day um, that, that was applicable to anesthesia. Like For example, I managed hypertensive patients or diabetic mm. patients. So the medications weren't new, the symptoms that they presented yeah. with weren't new. Uh, I had an idea of what complications to expect. And especially in anesthesia, you, you need to be able to assess the patient preoperatively, yeah. get a holistic view of the patient to estimate their risk. Uh, and it's so much easier when you've got clinical experience to yeah. do that. No, I, I definitely hear you on that. And I think I think it's almost a bit of a, a relief because um, as we were talking earlier, sometimes um, as you know, medical students and young medical doctors, you you're very career orientated and you put a lot of pressure on yourself and you will have to meet all these deadlines. So, you know, you want to be a specialist at the youngest age that, you know, you possibly can be. So sometimes it's just nice to kind of just like take a break, relax and just know that, you know, it's it's okay. Like you don't have to meet these unattainable expectations that you place on yourself. Yeah, and if you think about it, if you're a specialist by 30, you're going to be doing that for another 35 years. 35 <laughs> years is a really long time. <laughs> to and, be doing the same thing. And yes. most people don't stay in the same profession for 10 years anymore. Yeah. You know, people change change career paths. And yeah. So, so they're they really, they're, there's no rush. You're allowed to take your time. You are. And probably unpopular advice, but if I could force everybody to work as a GP for a few years, I think that would also be very valuable. I think it's actually very rewarding working as a GP, to be honest with you. But it, that's that's my personal. No, I, I agree. <laughs> I I was also very happy working as a GP. I found it incredibly hard work. Uh, you 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 really work very hard as a GP. Yeah. Um, but it's wonderful to be able to build those relationships with the patients and yeah and have continuity with your patients. No, but you also you learn so much as a GP because you're seeing everything or anything every day. And I I think um you know in our fourth year we had. Um, a bit of exposure working with GPs and it was incredible to me how you literally in a matter of five minutes switch from orthopedics you know to back to um, your resp and your pulmonary problems and it's just like you're you're constantly like you're juggling and dealing with so many hats that mm. you on you, you have to put up with all the time so no I definitely I have a lot of respect for GPs actually it's it's really honest work so speaking broadly now are there any short courses that you think that doctors should do during their internship in ComServe um, to make them more competent and prepared? So I'm, I'm sure you know the, the ACLS, yeah, ATLS, yes, PALS yes, courses. Yes. Th- those are really great. Okay. I think they give you really good practical exposure Okay. Um, and prepare you for a lot of the stuff that you'll see in a, in a smaller hospital. Okay. Um, and then do, they, do you know if they still run the basic surgical skills course? Um, I'm not actually sure about that. So, I think they might through Tux. I think they do. Yeah, because I know Vitz Circuit also has one, but I can highly recommend that. Okay. It's a two or three day course where you they teach you how to tie sutures. You practice some bowel anastomoses uh, on, I, I don't know if it was pigs' intestines Probably. or what. <laughs> they loved using the pigs. <laughs> but but that was that was really, really good, not just for the 
so, so you're comfortable um, closing an abdomen. Mm. But just to teach you handiness with, with putting in sutures, because even if you work as a casualty doctor, you have to stitch doing. someone's face up. You want to be able to grasp your, your needle and your forceps without pricking yourself. Yeah. So, so that was a really good uh, course that we went on as interns. And then if you've got an interest in a speciality, whether it's anesthesia or gynecology, in many hospitals in your comm service here, you can, if you prepare uh, and you request it, you, you can sometimes get six months in, in that discipline. Oh, wow. Okay. And then you do a, your diploma. So you can do a PEACE diploma. You can do, I think, a neonatal diploma, a gyne diploma, anesthesia diploma. There's a surgical diploma. Jeez, it's quite extensive. It is. And, I, and that, the diplomas are great because there is a fair amount of studying, but it's also very practical. Mm. So it, you, can, you can get a good uh, – you can boost your skill set there. Okay. Uh, and then when you come out of that time, it, it also gives you an idea. Is it something that you really want to do or not? And does that – benefit you when they select you to become a registrar at all or not really it's it's certainly not held against you okay um <laughs> the in anesthesia now that there there's so many people doing a diploma that if you have a diploma it doesn't necessarily mean that you're more likely to get a position okay but um, i guess it's helpful to you though at the end of the day it is uh in my case, it was helpful. Mm. Uh, when I applied for a medical officer position at Steve Biko, then um, it wasn't a very popular hospital to get to apply at. Oh, wow. So most people were applying at in Western Cape or Natal. Of course they were. Because everybody wants to go to the coast. <laughs> so when I applied, I think I was the only one out of the 12 applications that had a diploma. Okay. So so that worked worked in my favor, definitely. Um, yeah. Okay. No, I think that's I think that's very interesting, and I think a lot of students are very unaware. Um, maybe just something else for the students. Uh, I, something I've picked up on is that a lot of students are worried that if they don't excel in medical school, they're not going to specialize. Yes. Is, is there that perception? <laughs> yes, definitely. Okay, so so I can just reassure them that I don't think anybody ever looks at your marks again oh, once you're done. Okay, it's not entirely true. So when you come for an interview, it's a you get weight for certain things, mm-hmm. um, so that they'll they'll quickly review your your medical school history as well. But it counts so little that it, it's almost not doesn't that count is, in a meaningful that way. That is definitely quite a relief. So what what do they generally look for? Is it just um, more your personality that suits it, or what? Yeah, there, there's uh, a whole bunch of questions in the interview. Uh, okay, um, there might be some clinical questions, questions on. Um, how do you work with colleagues? And you just you have to present yourself. Mm. They also look at uh, what what research ideas you have. So that that's quite important. Okay. If you arrive there either having done research or with with a really good research idea, it counts heavily in your favor. And then um, if you've done your primaries, okay. I think the primaries carry the, the biggest weight for most of the specializations. Okay. I, I know in many places, I think UCT they they won't even um, consider you if you haven't done your primaries. So how do you go about doing your primaries? Like, where do you even apply? Where do you, where do you start? So the primaries are run through the College of Medicine of South Africa, and they there's a primary exam every six months. So in anesthesia, I think you can write them really at any time you want to, uh, whether you're an MO or not. Uh, possibly in some of the disciplines, you may have to get a reg post first, but I don't think that's the case anymore um, because we're getting more and more more uh, registrars that, that by the time they start their time they've already done their primaries and primaries is it's usually three subjects and it's basic the, like basic sciences subjects so for us okay. it was physiology pharmacology and uh, physics 
Wow, back to physics. Yeah, but he, <laughs> you he, thought you let it go. <laughs> yeah, so the physiology w- was enormous. Um, I don't think I ever studied the physiology that in depth as a medical student. I, I don't know if we always have time, but physiology really is the backbone, a huge backbone of medicine. So it, I can. It, it's true, and especially in anesthesia, if you understand your physiology, you understand the pharmacology, and you understand your pathophysiology. Yes, that is very true. So I think that's another tip for all medical students: take physiology very seriously. So we've uh, spoken a bit about the, the primaries and how you, you know, go through the process of um, getting your primaries done. But once you've done your primaries. Can you just take us through the process like of specialization? Like how does it go? How does it work as a registrar? What do you do? What's expected of you? And then, you know, how does the final specialization come about? Okay, so in anesthesia, most of our guys are going to specialize. They first get a, a medical officer post. Okay, yeah. Because uh, there's a shortage of registrar positions. Um, and so then they're working in the Department of Anesthesia as a medical officer. They do exactly the same work as the registrars. Okay. Uh, but as soon as, the, and then they apply to, to, to enter the registrar program. Now, the registrar program, it's a four year program. Um, you're employed as a contract worker during that time. Okay. So you've got a four year contract. Okay. And um, at the end of those four years, then your contract comes to an end and you either get chucked out or you can apply, and can apply for an extension. Oh, wow. Quite intense. <laughs> yeah. So you have to get, get your stuff done in those four years. The, most people write their primaries within the first two years and then write their finals in their f- their final 12 months, okay. depending on how their their um, their timing is, depending okay. on if they write it earlier or or later. Now, the, the registrar program, it's it's four years and it's a lot of work you have to get through. All right. It's a big advantage if you can arrive with your primaries because then you've already – You've you've passed physics, uh, pharmacology, and and your physiology, and you can spend your first two years uh, getting used to the environment that you're working in. Okay. Um, and you, you you're not you're not having to have to study those primary uh, subjects. Yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't have my primaries when I arrived. Oh, okay. Um, but I did have three and a half years experience of anesthesia. So that obviously benefited. So, so that was very helpful, just in terms of do, giving a basic anesthesia without having to have to to worry about the how learning how to give an anesthetic yeah um i wrote my primaries within the first year of my reg time okay and that was good because then i got that out of the way mm. and then i could start building on my uh, specialist knowledge for uh for writing my my part okay. two or final exams and are, are those the only so do you have like a set number of you know intubations that you have to do is there is there anything no, like that no, no it's not like that so you write your primaries once you've passed your primaries then the next thing you, you you're eligible for is to uh, enter your icu rotation okay and the icu rotation is uh, usually a three-month rotation where you rotate through uh, three, the medical icu the surgical icu and the califong icu which okay. is a, a mixed icu and uh, once you're done with that then you uh, typically go on to the senior anesthetic call roster Okay. So when you start with your your anesthetic ro- rotation, the apart from your daily work, you've got your on call hours as well. Okay. And you do anywhere between four to six calls a month at Steve Biko or oh, eight to ten calls at uh, Califong. So you can kind of kiss your social life away. <laughs> yeah. So you, if you want to specialize, you're not doing it for your social life. Yeah. No. Definitely um, not. It, it really is a full time commitment because you've got 
your long theater days. Mm-hmm. Uh, once your theater day ends, you go see your pre-meds. Once you're done with your pre-meds, you get home, you uh, give your wife a kiss, you eat some eat some dinner, and then go study. S- seven o'clock you go study. So typically seven to ten you'd study, mm-hmm. then try to get to bed. Sometimes wake up early in the morning, study some more. Because your days are busy, you don't have much much chance chance to study during the day. Um, so so once you've got your Oh, I was telling you, uh, yeah. you've got your after-hour duties. Mm-hmm. After-hour, we, we've got three and uh, registrars on call. Okay. So there's a first, uh, second, and third. The first on call works in Theatre 7, which is our general emergency theatre. The okay. second on call works in Theatre 6, which is our general orthopedic theatre. And then the third on call usually goes to the obstetrics theatre. Okay. Um, so once you've done your ICU time, then... Well, when you come back to anesthesia, you you typically slot into a first call, okay. and the first call coordinates the call and does the sickest patients because usually the sickest patients come to theater seven. Okay, so that's wow. the the laparotomies, the ectopic pregnancies, and neurosurgical patients. At Steve Beaker, it's actually anything. Like the <laughs> yeah, you get thrown at anything you get thrown your way. Yeah, so, and then. Uh, you write your final exams in your final 12 months. Uh, so you, you need about 18 months of preparation time for that. Okay. And what is that? What do your examinations consist of? So the examinations, they consist of a written component. Mm-hmm. Um, that usually, the, the, the structure of that has changed in the last two or three years. So now you, your written, I think, is end of January. And the second written, I think, end of June, July. Oh, okay. And then you then you have this horrible waiting period of about six weeks where the writtens get marked, oh, and no then fucking. it's it's usually about two three months after the written that you have an oral. Okay. Uh, so it's there 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 it is. Um, so it's like an OSCE setup. Okay. Um, and a patient side. Oh wow. So you, so we used to have to uh, evaluate patients and examine them and then present. Uh, that no longer happens. And now you get case studies, and you still have to present the case studies as a patient. So half of the examination is that, where you present two examiners, and the other half is in the eight OSCE stations where you, where you go from, from examiner to examiner, and you get asked specific questions. Well, wow, that's quite intense. <laughs> but the frustrating thing is that you, write, you have your written, and then you wait six to eight weeks to hear if you passed. And usually by the time you hear if you passed, it's about two weeks before the oral. So, so you you've got this period of uncertainty. You still have to study, but you don't know if you've passed. <laughs> so it, it really is an exhausting process. Shame, I can only imagine. Um, but then, if you if you're lucky enough to pass, then uh, you usually have a few months left in the department, and that's a nice time because you're you've passed, so you you're essentially a consultant, but you're still in a registrar position, so you get given more responsibility. Okay. You get to do a lot of the more complicated lists by yourself without someone hovering over you. Okay. And uh, it's a good time to 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 boost your your experience um, before you either stay on in government as a consultant or you cool. go into into head private. Off, head off to private. Um. So, what does life look like after you have qualified? Um, is it as amazing <laughs> as they say it is. So, I think that yeah, that's 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 a, a complicated question to answer. <laughs> um. So so it's. Certainly, that there's a euphoria when you're done. I can imagine. I remember the day um, before we found out our results. I was driving in the car with my wife, mm-hmm. and we were driving down Duncan Street in Hatfield. Oh yes. And uh, we got a phone call from one of my friends who'd also written with me, and he said the results are out. Of course. So, so I said, "Are you sure? Because they're only supposed to come out tomorrow." He's like, "No, no, the results are out. I've checked. We've all passed." And we start screaming and shouting and. 
behaving like uh, wild people there I driving can only imagine. Um, and we get home and I'm thinking, that's so weird that the results came out a day early. Let me just double check. And I went online and I saw, nope, my friend had looked <gasps> at the, the written results, not the, oh. not the oral results. So we slept away an entire day. Luckily, we all passed otherwise. <laughs> at least. Yeah, can you imagine but if he still, passed and so we failed after he, he sold us with that dummy? Sold, sold your dreams there. Jeez, that's, <laughs> I can only imagine. But once you're done, then, um, then I think life gets, gets going again. Mm -hmm. So... It's uh, the four years that you spend, you're, you're studying, you're on call. So it, it really is a tough time. It takes a lot out of you. And uh, once the euphoria of the exam uh, passes, then I think a lot of people struggle with a, with a time of, of depressed mood, depression. Yeah. Because you've had this thing that you're working towards for four years. You've had a clear goal, clear structure, and uh, you've, you've wanted to achieve this, this speciality post. And then, then you have it, and then and now then it's you realize all. All, all, all the admin that you haven't been doing the last four years, you have to catch up now. Uh, oh, wow. you, all, the, all the relationships that you haven't been able to maintain, mm. you're trying to to maintain those to maintain again. Them again. So I think for most of us, it's an, it's an adjustment time afterwards. Definitely, I can only imagine because you you have to get back into a, a normal life, and um, and you have to find a, a new goal and a new passion that you have to work towards. Um, and I, and I, see, and I see it with colleagues who, who didn't have something else, um, to, to, yeah, they only to had this for. academic, this academic goal, I suppose. Then, then it, it's quite a difficult, it, it can be quite a difficult adjustment time. I mean, it's fantastic that you don't have to study in that, mm. in that manner. Um, but you, you almost forget to, to, to function normally during that time. Yeah. And you it, kind of, I guess perhaps have to rediscover yourself after this process for some people. Yeah, I think so. And, and also you, you've got four years of chronic sleep deprivation. Um, <laughs> got a lot of catching up to do. So, so I think on average, people reach the burnout phase after about 18 to 24 months of their specialization oh, wow. time. So, so the last two years, you, you would fulfill all the criteria for burnout. Um, so you you have to f find a way afterwards then just to, to get into a healthy spot again. And how do you, how do you manage dealing with that burnout? How did you manage with those hours? Um, so I think what, while you're in the program, you have the safety of the structure of the program. You know, you, uh, the, the, the A, B, and C is expected of me. I need to be here mm. um, at this time. And if, if you're someone who works well with that kind of structure, then the program carries you through. Um, once you're done, then it probably takes you about six months to realize just how burnt you were, burnt out you were, sure. or, um, how sleep deprived you were. So it's a slow process. I think, um, it, it's good to have some time mm. to, you know, to, to reevaluate where do you want to go? Uh, what do you want to do? Uh, I remember prior to my exam, um, the, you become a little bit psychotic because you're, you're studying nonstop. It's, I suppose it's like Tick like all the boxes for psychosis. <laughs> like medical school tests, except now you you have a family as well, and you've oh, got yeah. a mortgage, added, and, added pressure, and, and you're a grown up now. So you've got all these grown up responsibilities and family yeah. that don't see you. So um, then uh, you, you you go you go a little bit uh, you you get very intense, and and I remember getting very angry one day at the at the system and and um, saying I'm. The moment I'm done with my specialization, then that's it. I'm going to get out of this hospital. Mm -hmm. Government won't see me ever again. I think okay. I use some expletives in that as well. <laughs> I don't blame you. 
this is the last this hospital has seen of me. Chokes on you, you're and, still and there. Yeah, four years later. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but the, once the exam was over and I, you catch up on your sleep and and you and I had to go through. Okay, what's important to me? What do I want? Uh, do uh, where do I want to go next in my life? Then, um, it, yeah, it, it helped me to 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 identify what was important again. Mm. Um, I also had quite a um what's the right word a, uh, a, a an unexpected uh, d- uh deep experience mm-hmm. where uh, I I went to a congress in the Kruger Park okay or so not the profound experience I should say mm-hmm. um where so we had an anesthetic congress in the Kruger Park and what a uh, wonderful place uh, to oh, have it wonderful place I agree it was held at Skakuza awesome restaurant oh, there very nice conference center and we went for game drives every morning mm-hmm. uh, and runs in the afternoon. Um, but uh, on the first night, I, I got there the day before the Congress started uh, and some of the Congress organizers were there already and they had a, a, a dinner at uh, at the restaurant that's there. And I ended up sitting next to a world-famous cardiothoracic anesthetist. Oh, wow. That's a guy from the UK who then uh, spent some time in Saudi Arabia working. And he's published numerous articles and been... T- been a speaker at many congresses mm-hmm. and I was expecting someone who's argant because cardiothoracic and ethicists are <laughs> when you'd ex- yeah, I, I won't say they're arrogant but but they they Sup- very they feel a bit superior you no know, they, they they they're very they're highly um skilled people who are very good at what they do and I was expecting someone who's going to boast about his career mm-hmm. um and uh after a glass or two of wine uh, we started chatting and it was this really humble guy mm. and instead of telling me all about his career he spent the evening telling me about his regrets oh wow <laughs> i know i hope you were taking notes <laughs> it, it, it it was uh it was very unexpected but but what he what he spoke to me about was how he wished he'd spent more time with his family mm. uh, when he was a specialist wow that is actually very profound because eh? he explained to me how he'd work in the nhs and then at the end of the day he'd go work in private in the evening and he would always Used uh, his his justification was well I can make extra money we can go on nice family holidays but he said then by the time his kids were teenagers they didn't know him he didn't know them sure. um, I think they felt quite betrayed by that yes and I think that's actually quite sad I think at the end of the day sometimes what we forget is life is about relationship yeah like, the, yeah no that's so true and he managed to patch things up with his family at least um but th- th- it was at that time that i was deciding sh- should i stay on in government as a, as a consultant should i go into private um and it it helped to give me some perspective that um it's life's not just all about work mm. um it, sh- it certainly is a rewarding part of, of of what we do um but that helped me then to to consider staying on and and, I, and having stayed on in government i've i've been very happy with my decision so um we were actually talking about it it earlier as well. So why government over private? So I wouldn't say it's it's necessarily an an all or nothing approach. So okay. I, I'm employed by the Department of Health as an anesthetic consultant at Steve Biko. But we have something called RWOPS, which is re- remuneration, remunerative work outside of public service. Okay. What that stands for is that you you can apply to do some extra work outside. Okay. So um, I'm still able to do some private work, okay. but it's limited private work. So I don't wor- do private work during um, government office hours. Okay. Uh, so typically what I do is I'll, um, I'll occasionally be on call over a weekend uh, for a surgical colleague. And 
and then um, then do some work in private. The advantage of that is you you can augment your income. All right. Because uh, the 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 salary that you have as a as a government consultant it, it's a really decent salary mm. but uh, our schooling in south africa has become so expensive standard of living i and guess and the standard of living um that you it, it's really helpful to 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 be able to, to top up your income yeah um so and the other nice thing about working in private is it's a different system again you see different kind of patients uh, at Steve Beaker, most of the time I'm supervising, okay. uh, which is enjoyable. But it's also nice just to be Get able back to, in there. To, to do my job um, as I train to do. Um, but I, I, you know, I decided to stay on in government because uh, the something that really appeals to me is the hours. Okay. So you, in government, you work from eight until four most days. I think that's almost... Um I mean, as a medical student, I wouldn't have known that I would have thought in government you work so much harder, but it's nice. It's almost weird how we have it the other way around, that it's actually, I guess, because of the fact that when you are working in private, you essentially sometimes are working for yourself. So you have to make mm. that money for yourself. No, that's true. In, in government, you're salaried, whereas in private, you earn per case that you do. And um, the when I was a GP, I got paid per case that I did, and I... It, it is um, a lot Quite more stressful. <laughs> it's stressful, but it's also very motivating. So it's that uh, it's like the 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 mouse that uh, keeps uh, drinking the sweet flu fluid that the scientist gives gives to him, and then he gets yeah. addicted to that and and goes back for more of the yeah. of the sweet juice. Uh, when you're earning per patient, it, it can also be quite uh, rewarding. Yeah, uh, psychologically, and you certainly you push yourself so. very hard, uh, but but often to extremes. Mm. Um, so in private, the, the working conditions are very nice. It's, uh, it's a, a well-functioning system. You've got, um, the hospitals you work at are enjoyable places to work at. There's, there's uh, functional coffee machines and you get lunch and breakfast and dinner. Yeah. Um, but in terms of hours, it's long hours. So you, yeah. you start early, you, you often work late. Uh, you're, uh, as the anesthetist, you, you work for the surgeon. And for the patient, but but if the sur you work as long as what the surgeon does. So yeah. so if the surgeon has a list that runs late, then then you then you're staying there. Late. Then you're staying there late. So it does make it tricky then to to see your family that regularly. Um, whereas in government, we've we've got a system where most days we finish between four and five with our lists, and then there's always someone on call. Yeah. Um, so we we do about five or six calls a month. Okay. But when you're not on call, you're off. Okay. Um, and, uh, and and I think that's the biggest difference. So in, in private, you uh, the um, you you've got your patient that you do th during the day, and then when you're done at the end of the day, you go home. But if the patient has a complication and an, an aesthetic complication, you you are still going to be responsible. You're still going to go back to the hospital. Yeah. So it, I find it a little bit difficult to switch off that way. Okay. No, definitely. Yes, I, I just want to say, you know, from our side um, at Med Talks and um, from all of the students, I'm sure. Thank you so much. I think this was a bound full of knowledge um, and a great insight into the process of speciality. I think a lot of us, you know, we aren't aren't aware of 
you know, what to do or how to go about it. So it's really nice to have someone who's gone through this process just offer us some advice. So thank you so much for, for coming in today and um, for offering us your advice. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's been good to be here. And then I just want to thank the the listeners. Thank you guys so much once again. Um, we really hope that you appreciated this as, as much as we did. Yes, please, if you guys have any questions, any queries, anything that you would like to know, um, send it through to us and... Once again, give us a follow or a like on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, and yes, that's it from us. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye-bye.